The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to Liberation Mental Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Gregoratis, and today I'm speaking to you from a beautiful Northern California. I'm out at a retreat here, just really reconnecting with nature and having an incredible time. It's one of my favorite places in the world, and uh, I can just literally feel myself starting to relax and decompress. Today's episode is an interesting one because the guest goes really deep and is really open about some very challenging circumstances that he experienced in his life over the last few years. And uh, I almost considered not releasing it because he shared, I mean, I wouldn't say it was an overshare, but I mean, it was, it was just so raw and real. And I, I kind of thought maybe he's just putting himself out there too much. But then I realized that, um, you know, people appreciate that authenticity and, you know, they appreciate that he's not hiding anything and that he's open and honest about who he is and the mistakes he's made and how he's overcome the huge challenges and adversities that he's had to face. So, yeah, I'm releasing it and you guys are going to hear it any minute now. Before we dive into the episode, always want to share with you guys my other projects because I know a lot of you enjoy the show and you want to support it. The best way to do that is head on over to 100% Health and check out my nootropic formula. Nootropics are compounds that help with cognition, they help your brain function more efficiently. And we have at 100% Health made the best damn nootropic formula on the market. And that's why it's called BDNF, which stands for best damn nootropic formula. So head on over, check that out. Use the coupon code PODCAST15 and you'll get 15% off your purchase. And also... You guys uh, are familiar with my work, my coaching work. At this point, I'm actually full up with one-to-one clients, but I still have spaces on my mastermind group. So if you're a guy who wants to just take things to new heights in your life, you want higher levels of success, well-being, health, contentment, and better relationships, send me a message. Head on over to liberationmentor.com, and you can either click on the mastermind link there, or you can click on the contact form. And you can send me a message and, you know, I'll have a little talk about it and see if it's the right thing for you. But without further ado, let's dive into the latest episode and this very powerful testimony from our wonderful guest. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. Today's guest is someone I have known for almost, it's got to be close to 15 years now. Is that right, James? It's around, yeah, it actually is exactly 15 years um, when I met you at the Academy. Yeah, That's wild. So just to give the listeners a little bit of background on you, James, I remember meeting you. My first impression of you was what a friendly kid. You had a big smile on your face. You were a little bit, little bit reserved, a little bit shy. And truth be told, I think you'll be the first one to admit you were kind of a chubby kid, right? And um, you decided to start jujitsu and you jumped into the beginner's class and, and everyone liked you. Everyone thought, oh, this is a cool, a cool kid and, and you seem to fit in really well. And then you know, a couple, of, I don't even know if it was a couple of years later, but we all turned around one day and you were fucking the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was, was strange, yeah, strange actually, because 
I didn't. One was one of those kids, you know, those. I got chubby. I was always in shape, then I got chubby. And it was without realizing I started to get in shape again. It wasn't one of those guys. So, you know, when people sort of had, oh, I got money to school, it wasn't those, one of those guys that played sports. And I kind of lost weight just through eating well for jiu jitsu, actually. And then I just lost weight anyway. Yeah, it wasn't like a conscious decision at all to lose weight. Yeah. I mean, whatever it was or wasn't, I mean, what you, the, the transformation that took place in your body was just, it is fucking mind blowing. I mean, anyone who sees a picture of you now, there's obviously going to be a picture of you on this, on this podcast episode page. I mean, you're an incredibly well-built human being. You're a bodybuilder now, right? And in fact, that actually leads me to my first point, which is that you said something to me a few years ago. You said there's this kind of resistance to bodybuilding within the fitness community and, and amongst mm. the general public. And then you said to me, it always changed the way I looked at it because I was kind of one of those people. I, I didn't want to be, I didn't ever consider myself a bodybuilder, but then you just said, it's look, not, you're going to be associated with it. And yeah, yeah of course. Just, yeah, of course. But yeah. you said, if you're, if you're building fat and if your aim is to build fat and burn muscle, you're a bodybuilder. End of story. But muscle is fat. And that's the thing people sort of, they don't like to admit that. I think the reason being, because I always sort of, delve into this with you and always think about it where people like to be, put a, be athletic you want to build muscle um, be lean but they will obsess and not saying you're bodybuilder the reason being I think is it's because bodybuilder scene is vain you're training just to look good mm-hmm. and I think that's and the, the honest truth is most people are that's the truth is most people lifting weights funny enough I'm not really one of them but most people are lifting to look good and there's nothing wrong with that I think that it's quite refreshing when someone comes in I get a client come in and they go to me and I go to them, what do you want? I already know what the answer is, but I want it to come out of their mouth, Nick. They go, I want to build muscle. And so they go, I want to look athletic, not too big. I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? Put muscle on. And they're like, yeah, put muscle on and lose fat. They're like, yeah, and then that's bodybuilding. But people are obsessed <laughs> yeah. with tech. It's weird, isn't it? They're just so ingrained into them to see it as bad. They think, when they think of bodybuilding, they think of, you know, a guy all up in a thong, um, tanned up, which is exactly what I want to look like. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the dream? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely your dream. <laughs> it's my dream, actually, to be with a man like <laughs> Jack Sorry. dripped and tanned, as you always used to say. <laughs> but I think the, the negative connotation that comes from bodybuilding is, um, I mean, a lot of those guys, look, to me, it's, it all started with physical, not to me, it all started with physical culture, right? Bodybuilding came from physical culture of the early part of the 20th century when you know, people were working out in places like, uh, on Venice beach. And they were, they were basically health nuts that just wanted to get in the best shape possible. And then bodybuilding was kind of this offshoot of that, that I don't want to say they took it too far, but part of me thinks they did take it too far, especially well, if you're an extreme, at, isn't it? It's an extreme. I think it's that, an um, extreme, right? It is extreme. Yeah. And the connotation of drugs is the big one, isn't it? The anabolic steroids. But I think that people don't really understand that, um, that it, it, a lot of athletes use steroids, but the thing is bodybuilders, Maybe, maybe it's a funny thing we used to think about this, but actually a lot of Tour de France cyclists take huge amounts of drugs, but mm-hmm. it's the way they train is different. An endurance athlete will take drugs, but they'll train differently. A bodybuilder mm-hmm. purely be doing it to put on muscle. So they just train differently. And I think there's a, another thing you don't realize, your bodybuilders, as much as people maybe think, you know, they're, you know, they don't want to look like that. They're hardworking guys and they're genetically gifted as well, these guys. Mm-hmm. You know? And no sport's, no, no sport's normal. Every sport's extreme. It's not, a, it's not normal, is it? I mean, a Tour de France athlete is not normal. There probably is sure. something a bit missing. Something probably is a bit missing. There probably is some demons in the head. But and same with bodybuilders. Same with um, uh, jiu-jitsu fighters. Same with MMA fighters. It doesn't make it bad, but it's extreme. All of them extreme sure. in different ways. The, the outcome in bodybuilding, the reason why bodybuilding is seen 
as so extreme is because the outcome is uh, you can see the outcome because physical. And yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. People see it. Yeah, how extreme it is. I think my issue with bodybuilding is, um, and I, dude, I'm, I would, by your definition, I'm a bodybuilder. When I go to the gym, I'm trying to put on muscle and lose fat, right? But when I look at it, the extreme end of bodybuilding, the thing I don't appreciate about it is it presents itself as something that's part of a healthy lifestyle. And at that level, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's true, right? I think that that actually doesn't it doesn't make you a healthy person. It's, it's not healthy, but I think also being a a Tour de France cyclist. I mean, I keep using that, but it's just an example because they look don't look big. It's not healthy that you know taking EPO. It's extreme as well. But I do sure. agree with you. I think, I think I, and people think cyclists are healthy. And they a lot of them die. Professional athletes don't. We. It's a very big difference, and we always talk about this. Nick. We've had long discussions about this, but um, eating and training for longevity is very very different to um, uh, eating for performance. Two different mm. things. Yeah, it's two very different things. Yeah, very different. And I think we, you know, we always chat back and forth about this, but a lot of the literature shows people that live long um, actually have low calorie diets, low carbohydrates, low, low insulin load, and low calories are the two things, which mm. is sort of the opposite of a lot of athletes, right, Nick? I mean, most people eat pounding in carbs, eating lots of meat, eating high calories, but actually what gives you longevity is low insulin load and low, low calories, which is completely mm-hmm. different than an athlete. Yeah, that, that is interesting to me, especially considering I'm on the intermittent fasting bandwagon. I've had a lot of, a lot of good results from that. The other thing, I, you were you mentioning performance-enhancing drugs, and for me, like... You know, I, I don't have anything against performance enhancing drugs. What really pisses me off, and I think you're the same, is just the inherent dishonesty. You know, it's just like, even even I notice I'm on testosterone replacement therapy, right? And there are a lot of friends who are on it as well, but they, they don't want anyone to know. It's just like big secret. And I'm like, why? What are you, what, what are you ashamed of? Like, what's the... And then it's a, it's, a, it's a function of the society we live in. You know, the example I always use, I think I said this to you once, is... You know, steroids are illegal in the United States and most Western countries. And yet you drive down, like, let's say I, I was just in Los Angeles a year ago and you get out uh, of the airport, you're driving down the freeway and you see a billboard for a superhero movie. And you know, or at least I know, <laughs> yeah, actually, I really you know guys, that that guy is on steroids. Like he's a 45 year old dude and he is fucking, he's got like a 12 pack and he's huge and ripped. And there's no way his body could look like that at 45 no, without performance enhancing drugs. He still worked hard. It's just that it's bizarre how people don't. I'll tell you something amazing, actually. I don't know if you're listening to this, it doesn't really matter. But I remember I had my knee surgery, and um, he's a consultant, you know, very famous consultant, the guy did my knee surgery. And no, just, I should just make it clear before you continue a consultant is a specialist, a medical specialist, specialist in, in England. Yes, specialist. So it's, um, a, it's basically he's a surgeon and a knee surgeon. Consultant is, means specifically you have a team of people who work under you head of department sort of thing so but so this knee surgeon very famous one he said to me he goes you know my favorite physique is the rock and i was like oh cool okay and he goes you know i love how he doesn't take anything he's completely natural i'm like i can't <laughs> but the whole thing is it's what scares me someone's very educated very smart i actually saw nothing against them yeah i think people like us know you know they're just delusional I saw I was all the rock in Monster Gym in a bodybuilding gym in Cheshunt in Enfield near me in North London buying his steroids and the, th- the thing is like it didn't surprise me at all but the point is he is still 20 stone 20, you know, whatever way you put it in American 250 260 pounds mm-hmm. massive amazing athletes driven high work ethic everything but it's delusional the reason why he thinks the rock doesn't take steroids is because he smiles and is friendly <laughs> seriously, seriously, that's, that's literally what people think. Literally what people think. <laughs> that's I mean, literally. 
I'm a huge, huge fan of Dwayne Johnson. And to be honest, I don't care what the fuck he takes. I'll still be a fan of him, of his. And any, to, to be honest, if I, if someone judges him because he takes steroids so that he can work out harder and get bigger and, and perform better in his movies and, and make, and be more of a superhero character. I mean, that they can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. It's ridiculous. Um, so, but the point is what I meant was, sorry, we digressed, but it was just that thing where people, like you said, back, back to your friends, sorry, about the TRT. I think, so the, the, what I think next, we we're going to talk about, I think that you're probably going to go on to next, Nick, right? Was about how someone will literally go to you. The reason why they hide it is because it's very simple. Someone can go to you. I've done loads of cocaine on the weekend and I literally, uh, I don't know, snorted cocaine over hooker's ass, whatever it might be, whatever it might be being serious. And literally they're like, oh, well played, mate. Fantastic. And I, I do a beer garden, drank 10 pints of beer. But yeah. if someone's ever taken, never mind steroids, taking TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, literally people will fall sick. Like, well, you're taking steroids. It's awful. But the reason being is they don't, they don't understand what it is. And that's, that, that isn't necessarily someone's fault as well. I think that uh, people don't understand. So actually, sure. if you look at someone who takes TRT, 90% of people educated don't understand that explain what testosterone replacement therapy is. They're actually, oh, that's fine. What's wrong with that? It's because they don't understand, Nick, as well. That's what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, partly because they don't understand and also partly because there's been a, I think it started in the 80s where the United States just gets out on people doping and sports and there's a you know it's a very interesting thing about the united states which is my home and the place i love and i'm, I'm not running to run it wanting to run it down but like um one of my previous guests gerald garland said is there's this one of the issues it has is this weird false sense of puritanical moral mm. goodness you know and they want to watch the rock look like a monster on the screen but they just don't want to know that he's been taking steroids or they want to watch barry bonds or uh, Mark McGuire hit 400 home runs or whatever it is. They just don't want to know what he's been doing like on the sly, right? So it, uh, to me, I, I try to just live my life as honestly as, and openly as possible. And, and I've always just found it weird. Like if I'm taking testosterone replacement, I'll, I tell people, yeah. If, if they say, oh, you're looking in good shape. What's going on with you? I'm like, I'm taking testosterone replacement and I'm working out because I was feeling like shit. And I went to the well, doctor and he said, yeah. <laughs> I think it also comes down to a lot of people. Uh, I think it's a sense of ego as well. You don't want people to know that you had to have something help you, which I kind of get. It makes sense to me. You're like you don't want to because it's admitting that you're not the man that you used to be. You know. What, what about what about somebody um, drinking themselves stupid because they can't talk to people? What yeah. about somebody literally can't face the world? They drink every day and then do loads of coke with their mates and then laugh at people that train and look after themselves. It's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's just a strange one. And the example would be actually, um, I remember actually people would go, same with you and me, actually. You know, I don't really drink. I have a couple of drinks. So not, I wouldn't say tea total. I have a couple of drinks, but very rarely. Mm-hmm. And people find, no, no, it's, it's happening less, I think. When I was a bit younger, people would go, you know, you're really boring because you don't drink. And I say to them, well, you know, I've gone to university, studied, got a degree from King's College, one of the best universities in the world. The youngest British-born black belt ever. And I have a good job that I enjoy. And I said, but how come that's doing all those things is boring because I don't drink, but you drinking like every single other person does is not boring. And then they actually suppose you'll stop. They go, well, actually, you're right. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It just doesn't make any sense to culture drink. I will never get it. There's nothing wrong with enjoy- drinking to enjoy your life, but that le- I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. I heard something the other day, which uh, was just absolutely spot on, which is alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not using. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, My God, exactly. that's so, so true. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Laughing, she knows it's crazy. It's crazy. Justify not to, people think, oh, you know, 
there's something wrong with you not taking a drug drug yeah it's it's strange i think it's you know a friend of mine who's a doctor he once said to me I'm very fond of relating the story. So I'm sure the listeners have heard me say it before, but I said to him, he worked in the emergency room for almost 20 years and he saw everything, right? And I said to him- No, if, I think I know what it is, British doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I said to him, if there was one drug that you could guarantee your children would never take, what would it be? And he didn't bat an island, he just said alcohol. He said, 70% of my my work in the emergency room is directly or indirectly related to alcohol, whether it's, you know, on New Year's Eve, one dude smashing another, another dude over the head with a, a champagne bottle or traffic accidents caused by alcohol or liver yeah, indirectly, every, liver failure. Or, it's just a society chose the wrong drug, right? There's just no other way to put it. And it is a drug. And, and that's a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, Should we take anabolic steroids and jack to the eyeballs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not recommending that either. <laughs> I think for your health, it's probably less damaging to your health to, to, and again, I don't take steroids, I just take testosterone, but I think if you're doing a cycle of steroids, it's probably less damaging to you than, than heavy drinking is. I, I don't have... It's not, it's not that. Totally. I actually had um, spoke to one of my friends, an endocrinologist. He's actually a professor of endocrinology at UCL. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we can look him up, actually. But I don't want to say his name on here. And um, he said that, you know, people want me to say that anabolic steroids are worse for you, not, um, worse for you than um, drinking and uh, sorry, drinking and smoking. But he goes, compared to drinking and smoking, they're nothing. And drinking and smoking are pretty much the worst drugs out there. They're just socially acceptable. Well, that's from, that's not from Karen, the woman, some random guy, <laughs> some guy who's a bodybuilder either. This is from the professor of endocrinology in the second best university in the world after Harvard. And that's the funny thing. People, if I tell people, they're like, whoa, no, what does he know? I'm like, mm, I think he knows a bit more than you, actually. <laughs> I, think you might, I think you might know something. <laughs> he might know a little bit more than you. But it's bizarre, isn't it, how people can be such, um, this guy gets such a high level expert and was like, probably should listen to him, but people will still ignore them. They'll still ignore them and go, yeah. I want to alcohol's fine yeah because people don't want their illusions shattered right it's that's one of the things that's extremely difficult is to have your in, your inadequacies or your insecurities pointed out to you like i know a lot of people listening well, see, my penis isn't small what are you talking about my penis is massive. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's difficult to when someone points something out about you that you need to change i think people yeah, do one of one of two things usually one is get the very very, very defensive and then cut you out or I think the healthier thing to do, which I try to do, I don't always get it right, but I stop and ask the question, is that person right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something difficult to take, right? They, they, yeah. they, they highlight something in you. So that's something very interesting you say, actually, because if you see somebody, a lot of people, um, particularly in the UK more than the US, actually, uh, in London, people see someone with um, a nice car, right? Mm-hmm. Why does it make you angry? Why does it make you angry? Because it, it, it basically highlights an insecurity in yourself. Which they mm-hmm. might go, well, I want that. Why not think, oh, that's good. That's great. Maybe I want to have a nice car as well. But same thing, the, the more important one, someone in shape. Why is it so inflammatory to people, someone being in shape? Because yeah. it actually highlights their own insecurities about themselves. That's, that's so true. Mm, like uh, a guy I used to work with, he was always quoting Ice-T, who said that hate always flows up, right? Yeah. And and that's true. I mean, you never you never see the guy who's in great shape walking past the fat person and go. Oh, that's not true. You you see it seldom, but it's it's rare, right? It's rare. They don't. You'll think they do. They don't. That's the thing. They yeah. think that they do. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's it's. I think if anyone listening, if you find yourself being angry about something or jealous about something or upset about something, you need to really dig deep and question like what is the underlying cause of that. And very often, you'll be surprised to find the result is as you said, an insecurity. And that's okay. 
because at least then you know what the problem is and you can start facing it and correcting it. James, I wanted to talk to you about something. Um, you know, I said to you before we came on the air, I said that this show will be best if you're open and vulnerable. And I know that you generally are an open and vulnerable guy. And I, I, you're an expert on health and nutrition and you've got a lot to share. But I think if I'm honest with myself, my instinct tells me that the more interesting part of your story, at least over the past few years, is is what you've gone through with relationships. Because I know you've you've suffered quite a bit, man. And um, I'd love to hear if you'd be willing to open up and, and speak a little bit about about that and what you've what you've gone through and, and how you've, you've you've got on the mend and, and turned things around. Yeah, yeah, that's actually I think that's an interesting interesting story. Um, it's almost like watching a soap opera when I talk back about it, which is a good <laughs> thing. But yeah, I can't believe this actually happened. So yeah, so. Had, um, actually, so I, I had um, previously married. Um, actually, the marriage has been annulled, so it technically doesn't have never happened. Actually, technically, but the point was, anyway, I was in a relationship with um, with a girl that um, had a very. She, the family were an interesting one in terms of like, you know the usual mother-in-law, the Jewish mother-in-law, the crazy, mm-hmm. the crazy mother-in-law, the usual story. But this was what I call a, the Jewish mother-in-law on steroids. I mean, she was, uh, yeah, no, no, seriously, seriously, she was taking a full cycle, growth hormone, whole lot, insulin. <laughs> she, <laughs> no, she was, um, yeah, so, sorry to go back to the mother, but the mother was um, pretty nasty for the last, she was a full-blown narcissist and I didn't, oh, it suddenly damn. clicked with, yeah, yeah, so everyone's, when I say that word, everyone's come across one of the other. And this is like the, um, you have people with narcissistic traits, I think, Probably you and me have some narcissistic traits. There's mm-hmm. a very big difference you need to understand having traits and having a full-blown narcissist. Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate between those two? Um, a, a full-blown narcissist won't have empathy at all for people. Wow, Zero. okay. Yeah, so I have no empathy at all. And they only see people for what they can gain from them as well. And people mm-hmm. are selfish. People, you know, form relationships, you know, everyone wants to gain something from a relationship, whatever it is, a friend or mm-hmm. um, family, whatever it might be. But... um. Basically, I met um, my ex based and she, um, after a while, I was like, oh, I like this guy, Jane, whatever. And the mum said, you're not allowed to marry him. And she said, why? What's wrong with him? Because he's, um, he's uh, not Jewish. And, and she goes, oh, well, you know, his dad is, and what you're not even religious. What difference does it make? It doesn't make any sense. She goes, well, he's an idiot. He's stupid. And then she goes, well, he went to King's and went to Haberdash. His parents are dentists. What, three A's in his A-levels. What do you mean stupid? He goes, well, he's thick, isn't he? And anyway, just literally, mate, from the start, it was a bit strange. And then basically went on and on and on throughout the whole relationship. She actually had a um, sister that was gay and married a, a Christian girl, which I don't care about. You can do whatever they like. It's nothing to do with me. But uh, what there was, the point is how hypocritical it was in the Jewish religion is actually against religion to have a gay marriage. I, don't, I believe people should be allowed to do whatever they like, but that's within the religion. If you're going to use as an excuse, then you have to mm-hmm. also back up the other side, right? Makes sense. So mm-hmm. they basically, they had this wedding, um, very big wedding. Dad, mum and dad spent you know, about a hundred grand on it. It was in the Renaissance Hotel, King's Cross, a big, big wedding. And yeah, so anyway, the point being anyway was, and then basically we tried, you know, what uh, point want to get married. And then I, she had, it was a lot, very, very strained the relationship anyway, in general. She's very flirtatious with the men. And everyone's been in that kind of relationship, right? And you kind of question yourself after a while and think, like, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. going mad. Everyone, everyone's had this, right? You question yourself, well, I'm going mad. Like, There's something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Yeah. We got in, everyone's had it. We got, in, we got engaged. And I remember the day, basically, the mum, she told her, we're friends, and so everyone was happy. And then she told her mum. And her mum went on the phone with me. And mum went, 
oh, congratulations. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> I, said to my, I, said, I said to her, I said, uh, your mum's not happy for us. She's annoyed. And, and she goes, no, 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 she's really happy for us. And we're talking about it. I said, no, 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 trust me, she's annoyed. Cut long story short, the mum called up, um, use her name actually, no, I keep forgetting to use her name, Rebecca, called up Rebecca, my ex, and said, You're, um, I decide when you get engaged. I'm the boss of the house. Wow. Um, like, I'm, not exagger- I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. So my dad was there as well. And um, yeah, she, and Rebecca called me upstairs, said, I said, what's wrong? And I kind of knew what happened. She goes, my mum told me off, said, you know, I'm not allowed to get engaged, um, all this stuff. And the dad called me up and said, you know, come around, everything's fine. Um, and I went round and the mum, the dad said, look, you know, ignore it, she's been crazy. And the mum started to be friendly. And I said, look, what's the problem? So it's happy time, what's the problem? She goes, look, James, I decide the order of things that happen in the year. This is not the year you get engaged. This is what happened. I said, I'm the boy. goes, I, in the Jewish religion, the woman decides when um, when you get married. And uh, I said, I don't think that's true. I mean, in fact, it's not true at all. And she goes, Uh well, I, you know, in our religion, I said, I'm not stupid. My dad's Orthodox Jewish. I don't, I said, don't, I don't fucking use religion to justify your bullshit. I said, just because you literally can't control me. There's no reason to literally try and control a daughter as well. You're not going to be able to control me bullshit. And then she goes, well, you know, you're Jewish, you're not allowed to get married. And I said to her, you're, you're kidding me here. So you're allowed, you're not allowed to get, we're not allowed to get married, but your daughter's marrying a Christian girl. That's purely against Judaism, but that's allowed to happen. And then she just ignored it, carried on rattling on nonsense. And then she literally goes, um, I, you know, I don't want, you know, I, I so she goes, I, at the end of the day, I'm going to decide what happens. And the dad goes, look, it's happy time. Ignore this. Literally, it should be happy. And then she goes, I can't enjoy it. I can't enjoy this experience. And you know what she said? Nick, she goes, because what are my friends going to think? Wow. Okay. So let's, let's stop. Let's stop there. Let's segue a little bit. I just want to, before we, you continue your story, which I'm finding fascinating, I'm guessing her dad was a super cool dude, right? <laughs> her dad was actually decent. I know you're serious. You're a decent guy. Yeah, and and that's you know I'm, I really I try to live my life and I don't get it right. I try to be non-judgmental, but you know I've seen quite a few instances of this now. And maybe you, maybe you're a guy listening to this and you're in the same position, but of where men are just totally dominated by women literally absolutely like he might as well have a dog collar on and be yeah, led around nothing left of and and i mean yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about like just got no spine left because he's just been broken down for years and years and years and i just cannot imagine living like that i just i just my mind cannot i cannot wrap my mind around it you know like i'm not saying that we should live in a world of misogynist fucking no, I don't think you should, I believe men and women are, are I don't want to say equal because equal means the same, but I mean, they both have the same value in my eyes and they're both. Well, they're, but they're different. Yin and yang. Yeah. 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 Equal or different. Exactly. But it's I just, how do you think, how do you think it gets to that? I mean, I know you, you're not someone. Right, so no, I know you're trying, to, <laughs> trying to open up. I know you're doing it. So it's, yeah. So I've seen it, you know, a bit at home with my, my sister. I had a sister that was very, still is actually um, a nightmare. It happens in it happens in a lot of middle class families actually more than I'd say lower to middle class middle to upper class families. The father has money and the woman just dominates the 
but the man flees apart. I think I think nothing. Women naturally will test to see whether the guy's the alpha male and they can they can provide. It's naturally built into them. Not because they're bad at all. My mum does this to my dad. But I think what it what it is basically you I would say to men actually out there, you're doing a disservice to your wife or girlfriend if you're literally a, a walkover. Because you want to be strong and firm because then you can provide and actually look, look after everyone as well. Not, mm-hmm. not um, financially necessarily, but I mean, even emotionally, you're there, you're there for your wife and your girlfriend. Saying yes to everything and being beaten to pulp is not is doing disjustice to your wife or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It's not being a good man, being like that. It's actually being weak. Sure. And then very often if you, if you do that and you, you do what you think you're the person, and this can go both ways, right? It can also go from from yeah, the male to the female side. I'm oh, sorry, the female to the male side. If you do what your partner, you keep doing what your partner wants all the time, thinking that's going to make them happy. Eventually, they lose respect for you and they become unhappy. It has the opposite effect. Yeah, and that's what happens. I've seen it. It, it is more. I think we're trying to be not chauvinistic, but it happens more from the other way. I've seen mm-hmm. what it tends to happen actually as well that it will get to the point where I've seen it. I've seen it just so many times where you said it. It's basically what happens is they'll go out, the, the woman basically dominates the man to the point where they're nothing and then lose respect for the man because they can dominate them so much and then we'll leave. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. a, and that's, and, and, that, and it's actually, it's just such a repeat cycle I see all the time. It, t- it tends to happen from the copying their parents though. There's not, not, mm-hmm. it's really wrong to say women are like that. My mum isn't like that. My girlfriend, I'm not just saying it's in front of her because um, if she wasn't listening, she'd listen to the podcast anyway. No, she's mm-hmm. not like that at all because her mum's not like that. So, the point is, my, my, my ex learned from her mum, and I didn't see those those problems um, till later on. That's where the story, can I carry on the story, actually? I think it's really interesting. Yes, please, please carry really, on. Yeah. Really well from us, actually. So kind of what happened was, anyway, um, it was very, very tough, the relationship, because of this as well. Um, and she would do constantly flirt with the guy. She would literally, and I kind of ignored it a little bit. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe it's just nothing, ignore it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then... We basically got to the point where she went on went on holiday with her friends and constantly on girls' holidays, got clubbing. And she went away with her friend and she came back from holiday from Barbados. And she acted very strangely. It was very odd. I can't describe it. She was like almost overly friendly, but a bit cold. And she also got, she would go out drinking every single day after work. And about about um, a couple of weeks after she was doing this every day, I just remember talking to her going like, is something wrong, Rebecca? Like, I'm not attacking you at all, but I don't think it's normal to be drinking by yourself every day. I'm on, so I said to her clearly, I said, I'm on your side. I'm not against you. Just, you know, I want you to make sure you're happy about what's going on. And she goes, you control me all the time. You stop me doing what I love. You know, I'm a free Projection, spirit. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was incredible. I mean, so it was almost like, it was almost like a, um, uh, it's like, a, like almost like a joke. Literally, I was pure, it was a pure projection. It was like someone could watch it. It was like, it was laughable. She goes, you know, you control me all the time. You tell me what to do. And I said, I don't tell you what to do at all. I said, you just came back on holiday. I never tell you what to do at all. And she goes, you know, I, you know, I'm a free spirit. People say I'm unhappy all the time, you know, because you're controlling me. And I said, don't, I said, I would let you go out drinking every day and go, you know, it's going away. How am I stopping you doing what you're doing? Anyway, the next day she put up a post on her Instagram that said, I'm, um, I wouldn't want to be chained up unless I'm chained up to Tom Hardy. And I said to her, a messenger, I said, like, Gemma, oh God, sorry, Rebecca, why are you putting this on your Instagram? If you're putting this on your Instagram, you clearly don't want a spot response from, um, from other people. It's not, a, it's not a straightforward, literally. Like, if you see it, send it to a friend, you know, and I saw it on a phone, I wouldn't give a shit. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. the fact you're putting it on Instagram means you want to... a public forum, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then she said to me, she goes, it's done now, you can't control me. It's exactly what she said to me. And I said, well, that's not sensible, is it? 
Anyway, I sat down and said, look, what's going on? You know, this, this seems ridiculous, your behaviour. Like, just odd. Like, I said, I would never put up something about another celebrity girl and tag my friend in it. It's just strange. And then she goes, um, you know what? I was going to move your wedding, wedding forward so your mum can see. Because my mum um, got diagnosed with bone cancer at that time, um, terminal, terminally ill. Or, you know, my dad's not terminally ill. I think, what's the way to describe it? But anyway, I basically terminally ill bone cancer. And anyway, she found out a few days ago. And then she goes, well, I wanted to move the wedding forward so your mum could see I was getting married. But now there's no point. Yeah. And then I, was, um, I remember literally being in, I was in Coco de Mama and frowning in my work. And Gemma knows my two friends, Bobby and Dave, were there. And he said, are you okay? And I said, first of all, everyone, I'm not actually okay. To be honest, I'm, I don't know what to do. And then I basically, I remember this. I was in, um, I was in uh, the gym, you know, where I worked. And my friend Ashley came down to see me. And he said to me, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what's up? And he goes, it's about Rebecca. And he goes, she was having an affair um, when she was out in Barbados. She was seeing a guy out there, not seeing a guy out there to travel there, but was you know, sleeping with a guy out there while she was away for the week. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? It didn't really, it was weird. It didn't really affect me. I didn't feel any pain from it at all. And it was really strange. And actually something I learned from it, learned from this is I just thought she was a bitch. It didn't actually, a lot of people, why someone cheating on them affects them so much because it makes them question themselves. It made, it made me question myself when you're just a bitch. Literally, and nothing else happened. And I came home and I just said to her, like, I know you've been having an affair. And then she literally tried to, you know, tried to fight it a bit, and then went, eventually mm-hmm. went, "Oh, it did." Was it very when you when you found out? Was it like a moment of clarity when you finally realized it's not me, it's it's her? Was that actually more no, relieving than anything else? Why, yeah, it's really worse. What happened was, I then went, we went around to her parents, and I, they said, "What did they say?" So they, I remember that was it. So the mom, obviously, mom and dad were disgusted. Said anything you need, I'm here to help you. I said, "Look, I don't know what's going on at the moment. Like, I don't know." I said, "I can't get married to." So I can't get married, so maybe we'll get married. I don't know, but I kind of have to put the wedding off. I need to put the wedding off because it's ridiculous. I'll just, we'll see what we can do. But, you know, I need time. Right? And the parents say, of course, no problem. So I was, you know, I phoned up the mum to talk to her because the mum was like, you know, I'm here for you. And the mum literally said to me this exact thing. She said, you know what? She's not right. You're, so you're not right for her. She's a free spirit and you can try and control her. And she just wants to enjoy the world. She's a young girl. And she just wants to enjoy herself. And then I said to her, what do you mean? She goes, well, she's a single girl. She can do what she wants. And I wow. said, she's engaged to me. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating the story. I said, but she's engaged to me. What are you talking about? She's single. She goes, well, she's not married, is she? Wow. And uh, then she goes, well, she just wants to maybe have fun with somebody else who's different to you. Maybe she wants to sleep with a black man because that's something you can't offer. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> that's, I, don't, wow. I, don't know. I, even, I mean, that, what a hurtful, I mean... It was so bad. It was so weird. You know what it was? Really weird. It was so bad. It didn't even hurt. It was like, you're mental. I just thought this person's crazy. I mean, why would she, why would she even say like a black? I mean, that's, that's so fucked up on so many levels. Like, so many it's, levels, isn't it? It's so racist levels. and it's stupid. I just, I just blows my mind. Everything. So well, long as she's cut back before I forget it, because relevant to the story later, she actually also told me when we got engaged, she said, you're not good enough for Rebecca. For Rebecca. You can't afford her. You're, you know, low life. You're a low life. You won't be able to afford anything. And that's where, interestingly, I'll go back to where my drive comes from. Like, um, this obsessive drive. And this is going to sound horrible, but when I went around there with my, my Maserati and a solid gold watch, kind of um, went <laughs> down the shitter. So anyway, the point being, anyway, is she literally, yeah. So that's what, I think every single person who's driven um, has someone that tells them they can't do it at one point, right? Um, you have to have that chip on your shoulder to push that hard. And that was mine. Literally, that was mine. It came from her. 
Um, oh. I came from a middle class family. It was, I was driven, but that switched something in me. I went, I'm not going to let them, no, this person's not going to. That's amazing. I'm reminded of this story. Um, you, you know, uh, John Carmack, who's the creator of one of the founders of id Software, which was the, the company that created Doom. Yes, mother, his mother kept bugging like he was a computer program and his mother kept bugging him she kept saying when are you going to get a real job when are you going to get a real job and then one day he came home in a Lamborghini and she never bugged him again I thought that was pretty cool <laughs> exactly yeah. uh-huh. I, know, I know the guy he actually one of my one of friends who works at Amazon um, he came okay. in actually told the story yeah really interesting guy amazing but every single person has that every single person is uber successful or driven in any way they have something that happened to them they all do they all have something that's very very hurtful and then literally, my dad had it. Everyone I know is driven has that. They have one and that was, that was it for you, huh? That was it for me. It just turned me completely. But the point of me anyway was, um, she, so that kind of happened. And eventually, she went, we went to therapy together. Um, and the therapist basically said... So you, 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 you gave her another chance after this? Yeah, I said, so look, let's go to... Like, I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but look, you need obviously have issues of some sort. You know? We'll go and talk to um, a psychotherapist. Um, and we went together and the psychotherapist said, you, know, you don't need to come, you know, you're stable, but um, you never want to come here and talk about what's happened, you know, we air and chat. And, but, and then, and then, but you know, Rebecca needs more sessions. So Rebecca would go there, you know, every, every, every week and just tell her what she did. First of all, it started quite good. And then eventually just stopped going. And I just said, so what's going on? She goes, oh, I don't need to go anymore. I said, what, what do you mean? Then it got to the point where basically the wedding was literally, you know, a couple of weeks away. And I just didn't, love her really to be honest I literally got to the point where I had nothing, no feelings for her but I just went through with it I went through with it because um, I need to no, need to make sure it was the wrong decision if it makes sense I can't describe it to you you were afraid of missing out more than yeah yeah. and yeah. actually this, this is the best thing I ever did was going through with it because I wouldn't have met a girlfriend now I wouldn't have been 100% sure that it was the wrong decision unless I went through with the whole thing mm-hmm. and I basically what happened off the wedding was she was acting strange again she had a guy she was working with, a guy called Kurt. Um, became very, very friendly with him. Was staying late after work. The usual was going, going around to Kent where he lived and said to do filming. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just odd. But then again, you go, oh, am I being crazy? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Then, yeah. then it got to the point where I said, look, there's something going on. I asked her once, is something going on? She goes, no. And I went, okay, I'll leave it there. Um, but then it got weird and weird. She was staying late at work and answering her phone. And then she said to me at one point, she goes like, oh, I don't... You know, you know, you, you're not, you ignore me. You're not nice to me anymore. I don't have the same feelings for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you want to go to, you know, talk about this, you know, talk to a therapist and, you know, go through marriage counseling. She goes, there's no point, you know, you know, what do they know? They know nothing. And I said, oh, okay, well, I don't think they know nothing. Um, <laughs> and then mum and dad laughed as well. I said, marriage counselors know nothing. They're nonsense. Because of course, you know what? Narcissists, what they hate the most is being uncovered. The mum didn't want her to go because the therapist would tell her it's her mum. Oh yeah, classic. <laughs> the classic case and she wouldn't go because she knew it would get found out she was having an affair um, and I got to the point where I literally I remember going around the parents house told them what happened and they're like you know give another go and I said to, to Rebecca I said look what's going to happen we should go to marriage counseling and she kept going no there's no point they don't know anything like, you know what I'm fed up I'm fed up with your family I'm fed up with your mum fed up with the way your mum treats me fed up with the way your family treats me fed up with the way you treat me and I don't have any feelings towards you and I've had enough I've tried everything possible, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want any, any contact with the other man. And then, and then she goes, and she's like shouting, screaming, going like, you're being crazy. Look at you're crazy. And I just went, no, actually, I've never seen clear in my entire life, actually, to be honest. No. Went to my house, took all my stuff out. Went back the next day with my friend, two best friends to collect all the rest of my stuff. 
and that was it. And um, yeah, and that was it pretty much. And then basically what happened was then I had, that wasn't the last thing that happened. I had another thing that was very, very serious. My best man at my wedding, um, do you remember Daniel, my friend, Daniel? Yeah, I do. I do remember. I didn't know him well, but I met him once or twice. Yeah, of course. So yeah, you know about, yeah. So he was my best friend. And basically what happened was with Daniel, um, to give a bit of background, same time, my, my best friend Daniel died with drug overdose, um, was fentanyl. Jesus. So that, and this was literally uh, two weeks before I broke up with my ex. And so what happened was um, he, Daniel had a look, he went a very, very smart guy, had a lovely family. His father's a very successful lawyer, mm-hmm. who had a background. Not the type of lawyer, you know, rich, the father's an incredible father, incredible mum and dad, very good people, hardworking, but nice family, very caring. And Daniel basically was um, into training, so I met him actually at the gym. Um, like I meet all my friends. Has <laughs> anyone made friends to the training? To the training, it's really it's That's cool. Yeah. So Daniel was a very similar background to me. He's, you know, dad's you know had professional parents. Went to UCS, good school around um, North London, and he just got into he got into Oxford to do physics. He actually got the highest mark ever in physics um, in the country. Wow. To that level of intelligence, one of the cleverest people ever. Um, he was an amazing shape, good looking guy, everything going for him. And um, he had a story, actually, I remember when he, his first girlfriend basically was cheating on him, was about 17, 18. And she went away to camp and she came back and the base told him just cheating on him and she was sleeping with one of his friends. And mm-hmm. then kind of just broke him and literally looked him in the eyes and laughed because she, she was a sociopath as well, another one. I just broke him and then from then on, he went to uni, um, started doing drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't want to cut the story a bit shorter, but basically he was back and forth in and out of rehab. Um, started getting into cocaine, eventually um, four years in every uh, heroin, crystal meth. And then basically what happened was, yeah, he, he was lovely time at my wedding. You know, that's the only good memory I have of my wedding. So he doing a speech. But yeah, and then, uh, yeah, then he, he basically had an argument. So he came out as gay, actually, um, which might have been something to do with why, why he got to drugs. I'm, we'll never really know. But um, he uh, yeah, went, had an argument with his boyfriend, went, to, went out to drugs, disappeared for three days and was found dead um, in a flat in, South, in Wandsworth, I think it was. Yeah, it was it was a weird. It's, 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 I mean, literally, it's, I knew, but the reason weird thing was with him actually, I didn't feel. Then if someone's gone through like that kind of trauma, it was really weird. When I found out, it's like absolutely nothing. I actually thought there was something wrong with me. I, I thought I was a sociopath. And then about a day later, sort of Russia pain came over, and then it was weird. It's, it's very very strange because it's. I, I accept it sounds an really awful thing to say out loud, but I expect, accepted him dying a long time ago before it happened. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that was probably the fate that would happen. You'd have one relapse, and then you'll go, you know, die one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, it was a hard time. You know, I was going. I went went back to my my parents um, after that. Um, all the stuff, and basically, yeah, I had. I remember actually an interesting episode. I was completely fine actually. I was actually tired from all it. Very tired. But I wasn't unhappy. I went to I went to a psychiatrist after this as well. I spoke to the psychiatrist. I'm um, and, and a psychologist as well. And they said to me something very interesting. I help a lot of guys and women out there. They said, told them the whole story where I just told everyone on your podcast. And they said to me, you were sweeping this all under the carpet for a long time. You realize what your ex was like, but you just want to be happy. Uh, and you ignored all of it. And yeah, it's correct. It was definitely correct. I just ignored it for a long time. And basically all came to fruition at one point. And they said to me, you know, you can come and see a psychiatrist or psychologist as treatment, but you're, you know, you're not depressed and nothing really wrong. You just if you want to chat, basically. Mm-hmm. I was okay, you know, literally that was it pretty much. I went for another session and then um, something really strange happened actually that I had, um, I was with my friend um, Scott, my business partner now, and I was, 
not sleeping, re- not sleeping really bad. I mean, exaggerating. I was just not having great sleep, and um, I couldn't sleep one one night for a few nights, and I was, you know, having problems sleeping. I said to my friend Scott, and Scott had some some um, tr- uh, cannabis edibles from um, California, actually. Mm-hmm. And my dad, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, my my dad, he's not anti drug, but he's kind of like you wouldn't, wouldn't say, he's like, just have that with it. They'll be fine. Have some. And um, I took them, and I woke up. And I saw it was really bizarre, actually. I saw, what I remember is seeing a text on my phone that was from an anonymous email that said, your ex-wife has been having an affair with Kurt Johnson, who should work with it, Physio London, her company, prior to your wedding. And that was it. That was the email. I remember reading that. And all I remember was, how I remember it was actually, I already had this tight chest, and then I read it. But it, I'm sure it's the other way around. Then after I had a really tight chest feeling, couldn't breathe. My throat was closing up. My heart started racing. Couldn't breathe, getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I, and I thought to myself, this is not normal. I was wheezing. Went to my parents' room, knocked on the door and said to my dad, I can't breathe properly. I said, look, I've taken some cannabis edibles. I can't breathe. And he goes, you're fine. You're fine. You can be fine. And then I said, I'm not fine. I have to go on the ambulance. I, um, it got, yeah, it got to the point where literally I, was, it, I knew it was, it was what it kind of was. Um, to my, you know, everyone, it was a panic attack. I never had anything like that. I never suffered anxiety at all, zero. No more than any, a normal person would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then went downstairs and my dad called for an ambulance and I went downstairs to my parents. My parents had a dental surgery from the house. And I sat down and I remember literally my dad gave me oxygen. I remember, all I remember really, really weird was one second felt literally like 10 years. <laughs> Five minutes would feel like, you know, it was horrific. It was, it's the weirdest thing in the world because anyone's had a proper panic attack. Mm-hmm. It's the most frightening thing that never happened to you. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I've, you know, I've had Roger squashing me at jiu-jitsu. <laughs> so, and then basically went to the Royal Free um, Hospital, saw the consult, a couple of consultants, um, and they just said to me, they told them what happened. They said, you know, the cannabis wouldn't have caused it, but it exacerbated what was going on already. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And then literally I had that panic attack. And it was a really weird feeling, Nick. Yeah, I've had one. I've had one over a, over a relationship as well. So I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Every alpha male guy has had one. I don't know why. There's something weird it does to like quite masculine men. Every guy I've spoken to, people, men have spoken to have had it. I don't know why. I don't know why. My dad's had it as well. Um, I think I think I know why. I have a theory that just came to me now. I think it's when you're when you're quite a I don't want to say a tough guy. I don't even want to use the word alpha, but when you're that kind of personality, you spend so much time putting a being strong in front of men that you think you let you let your guard down when it comes to your yeah, the relationship you you with a woman. You everything, exactly. yeah yeah and then when that gets jeopardized or something happens with that that's when i mean that's the weak point it's kind of like where you let the it's the weak point it's the achilles heel right i guess that's just my theory yeah i think it is because i think we, we generally we think you know what to make relationship work properly you need to open up and give everything and then mm-hmm. you know it was the most incredible thing you ever told me and I'm going to remember the rest of my life really clearly. You had, you know, sorry to talk about one of her exes, you know, maybe in front of Annie, but you, you had this girl you had from, it's a long story short, you basically going out with a long girlfriend, girlfriend, you uplifted your life to go and live in Australia with her. And she basically turned around and basically said, I don't want you. And you said something amazing to me after that lesson. You go, James, when the teacher left them, that basically try protect, always protect yourself, never give everything. And, I, I've luckily managed to give everything to my ex and I thought it never happened again, but I met Gemma and I'm able to give everything again. But 
it's it's frightening. Do you know what I mean? Literally, what what happens? Right, you give everything and then you're crushed. Right. Sure. And I, you, you know, James, I respect you so much for telling for sharing this story, man. I really, I mean, I didn't expect you to go so deep, but it, I think it's you know, people. A lot of people look at you and. I mean, you look like a superhero, bro. There's no other way to put it. You look like a fucking superhero. You look like the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, like uh, for, for them to hear that we, or to listen to the story and realize that, you know, like tough guys, successful guys, self-actualized guys, well-built guys can also go through this kind of stuff. I'm sure it's going to help many of the people. Cool. And that's listening. what I try, try to do because I think the reason is not to, I'm not like the next, I mean, there's a lot of people thinking some sort of maverick or next Mahatma Gandhi, but I thought because... From the outside, I do look. Because I do have everything. I do have everything. I have you know, a good job. I have a job I like with educators, have a nice family, or, you know, a nice car watch, whatever, whatever, be nice girlfriend, whatever. But the thing is, actually, every, everyone, everyone can um, um, go through really tough times. And I think that, and that's really important thing to realise that you're not, you're not alone. You're really not alone. Everyone I've opened up to, my close friends, has gone through a similar thing. And to be fair, what I went through was very extreme. I mean, that was, was and that. Yeah, so that's close. pretty extreme. It was extreme. Not victim, it was extreme. But would say if you you know if I can get through it, trust me, I've got loads of vulnerabilities and loads of issues as well, like everyone mm. else does. And I got through it, and um, it just made me much, much. I know it sounds really cliche, but it made me much tougher. Definitely. And when hard times come along, everything you know, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be For you're sure, going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And the the good news is anyway. So you know, I opened up my gym. Um, so before lockdown, the gym. But the point being anyway is that. Um, yeah, work. Everything's going really well. I've you know got an amazing girlfriend. I've got an um, amazing career. Um, I'm still jacked and tanned. <laughs> Jack ripped and tanned. Yeah, Jack ripped, Jack ripped awesome. and tanned. If those, uh, if the guys listening, um, first of all, just if you're in, if you're based in London and you're looking for a place to go work out, like a nice boutique gym with the, some of the best trainers in the world, let alone in London, I would recommend you check out James's gym called BTX. What's the website, James, for for your gym? That's um btx-life.com nice and you're also doing online online nutrition programs and things like that you've got a degree online nutrition and training so you know i hate to start but it's you know studying nutrition at mm-hmm. um, king's college london so i studied um, and uh, yeah and uh, we do online nutrition as well because a lot of guys can't get to us but um still provides the accountability of training online i'm not going to do a, a, a faggy home <laughs> <workout, really. laughs> I mean, i'm not, not going to pretend to sell to you doing that but but it, the ones gyms are open we do online training and structural training for you as well. That's that's amazing. It really, it really does help. I mean, I was shocked actually how much personal training helps people. A lot of it is being accountable to someone is the big thing as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with my work. Like I coach people not not really so much in, in working out and nutrition and stuff, but a, a lot of people, they want to make changes, but without having something or someone or some kind of system to be accountable to, it doesn't really mean anything because then it just it's just according to how you feel. Right, and yeah. that never leads to. You know what it is? It's amazing, amazing. What you just said there. It's when you. Yeah. The reason why people have coaches because um, it takes out um, all emotion. Because some of the things logically from the outside, yeah. not emotionally, and that's why coaching works. For sure, James, my man. What a! It's been such a pleasure to see you. Uh, I don't want to say morph, evolve into. More man than you are today yeah. bolder, bolder, <laughs> older grayer <Yeah. laughs> but no you're you're definitely the best version of james that i've i've known i feel the way i feel that way. i really really feel that way. i feel really good if the guys want to follow you on insta what's what's your handle brother oh god what's my handle um well i have a fans only page as well but they can uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <send me> you. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll, <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> Nick's, it Nick's the only guy subscribed to me, actually. We won't, we won't tell Anna. Uh, <laughs> so, sorry, uh, James, James Cooper, BTX. That's the one. Man, I truly appreciate you being so vulnerable and, and just dropping some hard-earned wisdom, which is the best kind. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I mean, um, yeah, it's a pleasure. I hope it helps some people out there as well who feel alone. But genuinely, to think to learn from that is, you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be, and there's other people who go through it as well. That's a big thing. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much, Nick. Pleasure as always. So I told you that was going to be pretty intense and it was pretty raw and emotional. And um, <laughs> I guess it was... James has always been like a little brother to me. When I met him, as I said in the beginning of the show, he was, I think, 15 or 16, and he started teaching or training jiu-jitsu where I was teaching at the Roger Gracie Academy in London. And uh, I developed just a soft spot for him because he was just, I could just tell instinctively that he was a good kid. You know, he was polite and friendly and, you know, intelligent, and he was just a cool kid, and, and everyone liked him. But at the time, he was... I think he was struggling with certain things in his home life, which he touched on briefly in the in the epi- in the in the show. And you know, I, I kind of resonated with that a lot, and I could relate to him because I also had a lot of difficulties during my home life when I was growing up. And so I kind of tried to take him under my wing and just guide him however I could. And uh, you know, fast forward almost 20 years, and he's grown into such an amazing man. I'm so proud to know him. You know, he's he's had not only those difficulties, but also the ones we just spoke about. And uh, he's overcome them all, and he's stayed dedicated to what he wants to achieve out of life, and and created something wonderful for himself when it comes to his business and and his career. And yeah, I'm just really really happy for him, and I'm I'm really appreciative of him sharing that powerful story and what he went through because that's a tough one that's a really tough one what he just went through and uh thank you james appreciate you cool guys thanks for listening be back soon with another episode until next time keep the faith